The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech podcast feed. Ready for your weekly tech fix? Want to know how technology sets us free? Well, get ready because here it comes. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, entrepreneur and technophile Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. Here I am, the golden stallion of the tech world, here for another great episode of Sovereign Tech. Uh, just me this time, but hey, it's my show. Um, uh, but if you want to see more than me and me, uh, there's an event coming up I will be at. It's in New York City. Um, this will be on Saturday, April 20th, 2013, and it's Anarchy in the NYC. Um, I'm not a speaker there, but there's going to be some great speakers there. Uh, Jeff Berwick, Stefan Molyneux, Bob Murphy, uh, some other people, and, you know, just, you know, some big names, and, and it's going to be, I'm sure it's going to be a great time. Uh, I'm, I'll, admittedly, um, now I lived in New York for for a while, and admittedly, I'm shocked that there's any kind of, I mean, one of the reasons I left New York is because there weren't any anarchists there. So, so I'm a little stunned by this, uh, you know, that, that this even exists, but you know, if you, I, I think the events probably actually, it might even be sold out. I don't know, but, um, maybe there's some little tickets laying around that if you still want to catch it, uh, go for it. And if you want to say hi to me while I'm there, say hi. So Brian Sovereign will be there. Uh, Let's get right into the show. What we're going to talk about today for at least a couple sections is really the the future of technology, like where where technology is going within the next year. And there's a couple of products, um, both in a way coming from the same company that may change things, may not change things, you know, uh, a popular example of a technology that looked really, really like revolutionary. Uh, but didn't go anywhere was like the Segway. I mean, just overpriced and relatively purposeless. Um, you know, as fun and as well-made as, as it was and is, um, it just doesn't, you know, meter maids can walk around. They don't have to be on a Segway to use it, even though I know in some cities they do use those. Uh, so anyway, so the Segway is a popular, a very, very popular example that people give, and it, it's become kind of a, uh, you know, a, a catchphrase for when you want to describe a product that may not actually, that while really cool, you know, and again, revolutionary, um, it actually has no like real practical purpose. And so people use that phrase. You will often hear me use the word Segway. Um, and in fact, for maybe both of these technologies, or at least one of them, um, I would compare them to the Segway. And what we're going to talk about first uh, for our main story is Google Glass. So what is Google Glass? Okay, you probably heard about it. Um, some people call it Google Glasses. That's kind of a misnomer. It's actually just Google Glass. And what it is, it, it's essentially a wearable computer. Um, you put it on, you know, it looks like a pair of glasses uh, without the glass that's probably why they don't call it Google glasses, but you put it on and it has a, uh, a retina display and what, I don't mean a retina display like, like Apple puts on there. I mean, a uh, you know, a virtual retinal 
display, as in it literally beams the image that the computer is projecting onto your eye, literally onto your retina. Okay, no, I'm, you know, maybe that technology is okay. I'm not a huge fan right off the bat. I'm not a huge fan of that whole principle. Um, I think it would have been a little more interesting. There are models of the of Google Glass where they actually have sunglass lenses on it. I those I like those a little bit better, and I wouldn't I wouldn't have minded like if the display showed up on the sunglasses. You know what I mean? Uh, so essentially you're walking around with like Terminator vision with these on, you know, like the Terminator, except you're, you know, you're not seeing all red and hopefully you're not targeting anybody. Um, so anyway, this Google glass, you know, it's happening. It's out in the wild. Now there's been pictures here and there. When I say out in the wild, that means that, um, you know, like working versions of it have been seen in public and already (laughs) in the United States, West Virginia uh, is looking to ban Google Glass, you know, for for drivers, as in if you're driving, you can't use Google Glass. And I think maybe one of the points where people like to say that Google Google Glass won't be like the Segway is because, you know, now you can do all this stuff while you're driving. But is there a catch to that? Anyway, we'll read a quick article here from TechCrunch. Uh, and that is West Virginia lawmaker seeks to ban drivers from wearing head mounted displays like Google glass. And it's by Matt Burns. Um, I don't see a problem with this in short, a West Virginia lawmaker wants to outlaw the wearing of head mounted displays while driving in his state. The device would join other banned electronic communication devices like cell phones. The bill, while perhaps a bit laughable at first, is logical and smart. It makes a lot more sense than banning the use of Google Glass in dive bars. Uh, The story goes that CNET's early Google Glass hands-on prompted the proposed legislation. CNET's Chris uh, Matisic reached out to the bill sponsor, Gary G. Howell, a Republican in the West Virginia legislature, who thankfully is not an ignorant Luddite. He's just sensible. And this is in quotes. I actually like the idea of the product and I believe it is the future. But last legislature, we worked long and hard on a no texting and driving law. It is mostly the young that are the tech savvy that try new things. They are also our most vulnerable and underskilled drivers. We heard of many crashes caused by texting and driving, most involving our youngest drivers. I see the Google Glass as an extension. Uh, texting while driving is dangerous and while Google glass is well, less emasculating, uh, it is still a distraction. Now that emasculating thing, there was kind of a big deal over the fact that, um, Sergey Brin, who is one of the co-founders of, of Google, he, he came out, he did when he was doing a, a PR campaign essentially for, uh, for Google glass, he said that smartphones were emasculating people now emasculating you know you can look up the definition that has directly to do with men and so people you know women took offense to it saying it's like what's this emasculation what is that talking about and men took offense to it too you know uh because it's a it's a very very rough word to use especially when you're talking about the entire human race so that's why they they kind of use the word less emasculating here but anyway Cars are already overloaded with gadgets and screens. They have their own heads-up displays, countless dials, and worse yet, slow and unresponsive infotainment systems that seemingly control more of the vehicle with each new iteration. If you're driving, that's what you should be doing. Facebook can wait. 
The proposed legislation would lump head-mounted displays in with cell phones and other electronic devices currently banned from using while operating a motor vehicle. The first offense would result in a fine of $100. The second, third, or subsequent offenses would cost $200 or $300, respectively. Howell goes on to state that he's not sure if the proposal will become law, although he's sure other legislatures will file similar bills. But have no fear, Google apparently saw this company coming. The company already has an answer. Uh, and of course, the answer they're referring to is that Google is developing self-driving cars. But that's, you know, I, I get the point that they're trying to make there that, well, Google have self-driving cars, so now you can use it while you're driving. But if you're in a self-driving car, you can use your smartphone. That's that's kind of a ridiculous answer. That's like That's like creating a problem, like creating your own problem and then creating a solution to it to make more money or something. Not to say businesses don't do that, but... Anyway, a little strange. Now, obviously, you know, at face value, this is ridiculous to to think that you need to ban uh, Google Glass, you know, while people are driving, uh, because obviously banning texting has worked out so well while one drives, because what happened is, is there's more accidents now that texting's banned because people are like sneaking the, the cell phone under the dash so the police don't see it as they drive by and they're driving even more dangerously because you're not you're not going to stop humans from doing what they want to do laws just laws don't do that okay uh, education does that not laws and so with with that in mind uh th- you know this is this is absolutely ridiculous uh to to think that legislation is going to solve it um there was an article uh out of venturebeat where they talked about how in West Virginia, the roads are particularly dangerous, especially in the winter. Uh, I guess West Virginia, I mean, West Virginia is a pretty mountainous area. If you've never been there, there's, I mean, it's just mountains everywhere. And so the idea of, you know, maybe taking it easy while driving isn't, isn't such a bad one, but this is the point. This is what needs to be done. Just educate the people of West Virginia. Say, look, do you realize the roads you're driving on? Maybe you want to pay full attention to what's going on. Okay. Or you could, you could get in some degree of trouble. Um, or maybe even, you know, if it's that dangerous, then, you know, maybe insurance companies would look into, Hey, you know, if you're, if you're, if you have Google glass, you know, maybe we'll put a $6 fee on your, uh, you know, on your premium or something, you know, but legislation doesn't solve anything. Now, obviously, I, I feel I'm stating the obvious, especially to my very intelligent audience. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to get it out there all the same. Uh, there's another interesting little tidbit about Google Glass uh, that I want to talk about. We're going to we're going to talk all about Google Glass here for a bit. Um, and. One of this is this is another article from TechCrunch where they're talking about, uh, you know, the truth about Google Glass, they call it. And they show some viral video that went around about how crazy it's going to be, like, you know, when you go on a date or something. And anyway, they talk a little bit about it and I'll read it here. 
Uh, imagine this dystopian future. You enter a bar on a date, spend a little time in awkward conversation, and then, bored, both of you end up staring at the readouts near your corneas, oblivious to each other. The birth rate will fall. There will be anti-glassites who snatch these things from people's faces, and there will be glass-free zones where orgiastic explorations of the human animal will take place with reckless abandon, for you will finally be free. Free men and women will be reduced to zombies, wandering aimlessly as text scrolls pass their eyes like flies on a dead cow's face. Slowly, surely, our major cities will descend into lethargy and a group of Luddites will arise to fill the vacuum. The glassites will be pacified by porn piped right into their heads, while the rest of the world, the dreamers, the drinkers, and the astigmatics will take the reins. One day... A nuclear dirty bomb built using instructions found on the internet by a glassite who has, was vaguely upset with the score in Angry Birds Glass will destroy most of the Northeast. And glassites will descend into rabid madness as the media hubs of the world grind to a halt. With no more Reddit or BuzzFeed, glassites will wake up from their slumbers, their atrophied bodies limp as old spinach. But by the time, by that time, it'll be too late. The anti-glassites will rule the world. Their Amish-like refusal to take up technology, their only protection against the tyranny of Mother Google. They will rebuild civilization in their own image, which means there will be a lot of board games and barbecues. Or maybe glass will end up like the Segway. Kind of cool, but vaguely useless. Who knows? What am I? A mind reader? And that was a cute little, you know, little write-up by John Biggs on TechCrunch. And you know, do I think it's going to turn into like that kind of situation? No. Are there a lot of people who do think that it'll turn up to that situation where people will just be like mindless zombies? No, I don't think so. I mean, in fact, if people are mindless zombies, they, you know, just like constantly taking in, um, you know, pointless information or something. We're already there. I mean, that, that, that's just it. You know, I mean, how many people complain about like that? They just stare at their Facebook newsfeed all the time, you know, and they just get caught up and they don't even really do anything. And next thing they know, two or three hours have passed and, oh, wow, where did the time go? I haven't even done anything. I've just been on Facebook all day. I'm not knocking Facebook. I use it too. Uh, It's very, I like Facebook. I I think Facebook is very entertaining. Amazingly, there's people that take it very seriously, but I I find it very entertaining. Um, Anyway, uh, so, so this is what we have with Google glass. You know, these are kind of the, the, these are the bad sides of it. And if you're curious about a little bit more, you don't know about Google glass, you know, like how, okay. So this thing beams as an image directly onto my eye, uh, it's essentially beaming Android, like an Android interface. If you look at your Android phone, it's going to kind of be something to that effect. Um, a guy like Robert Scoble, who hopefully will be on a future episode of the show. Uh, he's actually been testing it and he says it's amazing. Um, how well that works. Cause it's like just out of your peripheral vision. So you're still seeing, okay. All right. So that's a fact. Um, and it works by voice commands. Like, uh, you know, you say, okay, glass. And then the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, your, what you're wearing over your, you know, over your eyes, uh, well, not really over your eyes, but above your eyes, uh, will suddenly, you know, respond. And, you know, it has like record video, take a picture, use Google now, which Google now is great. Google now is like their assistant kind of thing that doesn't talk like Siri does for Apple, but you know, it, it can answer your questions essentially, uh, search, give directions, send message, display weather, give flight details. Um, and one of the big things that they've, they've said for, for Google glass were be really popular is that it will have like all the sensors that exist in the modern cell phone or modern smartphone. So 
it'll have a, bar- a barometer in it. And so if you're skiing, you, you know, you can see, you can kind of see, you know, where you are. Uh, it'll have latitude and longitude, all this stuff built in. And, you know, that's all great. That, that, that really is. And in fact, you know, but here's the one that does kind of bother me. One of the features and one of the selling points that people have been making is that you can watch TV all day now. Awkward silence. Yeah. No, thanks. Okay. I mean, from, for me, from age like five to age 16, 17, I've seen more TV than I need to watch for the rest of my life. I mean, it's just madness how much I've watched and you know, I don't really watch TV anymore. Uh, save a couple shows. Like I watch, uh, Spartacus, which, um, you know, as far as shows on TV right now is easily the, the best show on the planet. Um, you know, I, so, so I do watch a little bit, but, uh, by and large, I, you know, I really don't bother watching television. I do. I read tons of books. Um, I suppose someone could say that they could use that. They could use Google glass for that. You know, look, I can just be reading a book the whole time. Um, in fact, reading a book and driving now, here's an efficient way to read a book and drive, right? I know people that do that. I never got into that. I was more into the audio books, uh, when I would, when I would be driving. So, but here it is, you know, that's, that's a cool idea to do with it. Um, as far as my personal opinion with Google glasses, I, I do compare it to a Segway. Uh, I, I think I, I just, I don't see, you know, Steve Jobs said, I, I think it was at D five where, or this is like back in 2007, he was actually on stage with Bill Gates. I remember this. And he said, you know, we still drive our cars with the steering wheel, right? You know, why would, why would we not use the mouse kind of an odd thing? Because this is the guy that kind of pioneered touch with the, you know, with iOS, but I still, yeah, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole voice command thing, maybe that'll pick up. Maybe the next generation will get in on that. Uh, I'm not cool with the retina display. Um, and, and I just like, I think, you know, touch works like windows eight is a good example of this. Okay. Touch works on a handheld device on a handheld device as in, in your hand, you know, or like a tablet, like that, that's, you know, like only a couple, two to three feet away from you, but on a device touch doesn't work, you know, on, on a device that's many feet away and is, you know, say 27 inches big, like a desktop computer or something like that. No, you still want a mouse for that sort of thing. And so what you, you create is you create an environment with windows eight, you create an environment that's like not designed very well to do everything it's designed for touch. And when you don't use touch, you know, it it just kind of gets in the way and creates frustration. And I get the feeling that, that using Google glass is going to create some frustration, especially because, you know, (laughs) here's the question. Like, okay, people are like one of in that, in that, uh, uh, little editorial, they were saying how people are just going to be watching porn all the time. So how's this going to work? Okay. Glass pornhub.com. Um, Gianna Michaels gangbang. No one's going to do that. And in fact, another thing too, uh, this is an interesting side note, you know, uh, romance novels. And I think this is great romance novels. Their sales in the past seven years have quadrupled. Why? 
you know, I mean, and, and I think the common cultural trope is that, well, all, all women read romance novels. So what is it suddenly? Are there more women in the world that sales would quadruple or are there more romance novels being published? Neither of those are true. What it is, is that because of Kindles, because no one can see the cover of the book, more men are buying romance novels. Okay. People enjoy the privacy that a smartphone provides. They enjoy why are tablets so popular because it provides a privacy that you can't get with a computer. It provides a privacy that you can't normally carry with you. And Google glass is going to eliminate that whole privacy. You know what I mean? It, it's just, it's going to bring all that shame and all that, you know, quote unquote shame that people were, I mean, and I, I say shame, meaning that like guys apparently before were afraid of other guys seeing them reading a romance novel. Okay. But all that would be out in the open, you know, or you'd have to come up with a complex series of like private commands that do one thing. When you say one thing, it does another. So I, I see this as a real flaw. They're missing what people like about their smartphones. Um, you know, and one of the things I like about smartphones is the privacy of them. You know what I mean? I'd never look at another person's phone, no matter how much I trusted them or whatever. You know what I mean? No matter what the relationship, I would never look at it without their permission. I mean, that's such a personal, personal device. And that's great. I, th I think that's awesome. You know, that, that people can have this little world of privacy. Oh, but big brother's looking at us. Yeah, whatever. Let them see it. Let them see what kind of, you know, a quote unquote by social conservative standards, a sick freak you are. Let it, let just let it show. Okay. And then when they reveal, oh, you know, look, all Americans look at porn and all Americans do this good. Then we can get out of the social stigma that somehow sex is bad. Anyway, a little off, off track there, but Google glass. Yeah. For so many reasons, I just don't see this taking off. The legislation is a joke, uh, that we, that we talked about. Um, but they're going to push this, you know, and maybe it'll get some use. I could see some interesting use for like, um, in particular, Google has a game called ingress. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later, but Google has a game called ingress that runs off of like GPS and it's actually a big scheme to make Google Maps better. But anyway, and I could see where Google Glass would be awesome for that. You know, so so it's it's a product that's going to have its purposes. But as far as something that's going to replace the smartphone, which is what I think Sergey Brin wants to do, that's not going to happen. Um, and it's not and I don't think it's going to replace computers either, at least not yet. Uh, you know, until these things are literally linking with our brains instead of, you know, still responding to voice commands or even eye movements or something. Uh, I, I just I I can't picture it taking off and, you know, being like this, you know, this next evolution in technology that everybody's claiming it that it's going to be. Um, but, you know, now, is this bad for Google? Not really, because you have, you see, in my opinion, real quick, you have two versions of Google. They're, Google's kind of split in two right now. You have Sergey, the Sergey Brin camp, which is like Google Glass, and then you have the Larry Page. And Larry Page is concentrating on Chrome OS and Android, and that's that's just going to keep rising, you know, as, as far as use, and it's proving it all around the world. It's where Sergey gets to experiment with the fun stuff, and that's fine. Great company model, in my opinion. I'll be back with more. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with me, Brian Sovereign, the man who always wears triple black. Sovereign Tech is a show about science and technology and how it can set you free. 
Remember, Sovereign Tech only endorses businesses and products that we genuinely believe in and support ourselves. If you have a product or website that you would like to have reviewed, you can email the show at SovereignTech at Hush.ai. Please keep in mind that the reviews on Sovereign Tech pull no punches. Thanks for listening. Tech Roulette. Want to play? It is time for Tech Roulette, and I always want to play. And this week, we've got, a, a again, the first couple segments here, we're talking about uh, maybe more. We're gonna we're talking about like what is what are the tech trends? What's the future technologies that are gonna supposedly change things or whichever? Last segment we talked about Google Glass, um, and that they're already starting to want to pass legislation against it. Um, you know, even though again, I I don't think it's a product that's really gonna take off. Uh, the next one, this is an article from, uh, we got this from a listener, of course, cause it's tech roulette where I read the articles that you send to me. I do eeny, meeny, miny, moe, and I pick one and every week, you know, we, we do one and there we go. Uh, and this one was sent from a listener and this is from data motion. And this is actually an article by Mike Elgin, who was, who is a friend of the show. And he was on recently, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal tech journalist an absolute giant. Um, and he's big, he, he, he self describes, uh, you know, as like a journalist that that talks about the culture of technology and i think he's right on and i always find his stuff very interesting so i was more than happy to get this article and to read it and it's five tech trends that will bring back the wristwatch right like you know rolex well maybe you don't have a rolex but you know what i mean okay uh, people don't wear wristwatches like they used to, and the reason is clear. Since everybody's got a mobile phone and the phone tells the time, a watch is unnecessary. I still wear a watch. I actually have a calculator watch that I, you know, that I wear more as a status symbol. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you know, around here and there. But anyway, but the mobile phone has always been an insatiably greedy platform. It needs more features, more power, more convenience, and above all, more pixels. Get used to the idea of the big platform companies selling or supporting wristwatches that serve as additional screens for and controllers of the phones in our pockets. I believe that Apple and Google will do so in a large number of small companies, including Pebble, which shipped its long-awaited smartwatch today. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Pebble is a great example of the coming wristwatch revolution. It connects via Bluetooth to either an iPhone or an Android phone. Uh, you install apps on the watch through your phone. It has a high contrast, sunlight-readable e-ink display. E-ink is the same thing that like the Kindle uh, paper paper white uses not um not the kindle fire but the normal kindle that's the kind of display it uses uh, pebble is cool but it's just the beginning five strong trends are all converging to make smartphone wristwatches a near certainty here are those trends and there's five of them uh, the multi-screen functionality trend that's number one. Until very recently, every device we used had its own screen, and the screen on one device wasn't connected to apps displayed on another screen for the most part. But now, thanks to Apple's AirPlay, mirroring, uh, Microsoft Smart Glass, Nintendo Wii U, and other products, people will get increasingly familiar with the idea that two devices work together as one. With these living room technologies, quote-unquote, your smartphone can be a controller or provide additional contextual information for whatever's happening on your TV. This is how the new wristwatches will work. Your watch will show your incoming, you know, incoming texts, emails, and caller ID information, as well as other data fed by apps running on the phone. You'll be able to control what happens to some degree on the phone by interfacing with the watch. Now, 
that let's just talk about that one for a second that that's probably that if any use is going to come from it that may be so because every phone now it seems except for apple who's quite a bit behind the times um every everything just gets these much bigger and bigger screens you know uh cell phones used to only have like three and a half inch screens and now you have like the galaxy note from samsung that has you know almost a six inch screen and in fact they're even talking about the with the galaxy note 3 coming out probably in october of 2013 you know this thing might have like a 6.8 inch screen that'll that'll almost be a tablet but it's a phone you know and they call them phablets and whatever and all these other companies are coming out with five inch screens 5.5 inch screens and whatever and so it's probably it's it's going to get to the point where maybe there'll be a little bit unwieldy on the on the fly and so to have a watch that can just see what's going on so you don't have to keep pulling out that you know that hulk of a phone uh will probably be a pretty cool thing myself i love the larger phones i mean if they get to tablet size even that's fine with me i think that's great i love the gigantic screens um i and all the computing power that like the the sam's the galaxy note 3 is supposed to have like a an octo core that's eight cores uh inside of it and i think that's so awesome that'll be almost as powerful as my laptop um so anyway, so I think that's probably a pretty viable, you know, look into how these things work. Uh, anyway, let's go to number two, the wearable computing trend. Nerdy geeks like me and possibly you are looking forward to becoming cyborgs when we wear Google's Glass gadget. Google's Project Glass involves the development of eyewear and that beams visual information into one eye. It has a camera and other sens- sensors, and it enables the wearer to get contextual information, communicate and take pictures and videos without the fondling of a phone. Google Glass hardware is interesting, but the secret sauce of Google Glass would work equally well on a wristwatch, voice commands, augmented reality information, and so on. It's very unlikely that Google Glass will ever become a widespread mainstream device, and for several reasons. First, it's got a camera on it. Humans don't like cameras being pointed at them all the time. Very true. If you don't believe me, go ahead and point your smartphone or digital camera at someone the entire time you're speaking to them. Second, single-eye display technology bothers some people like 3D does. Uh, third, eyewear is fashion and people aren't going to turn to Google for fashion. And I got to say that that was the number one thing about Google Glass for me months ago when they first started demoing it was that it is ugly as hell. It doesn't look good. You can put it on the most beautiful woman, you know, or the buffest guy, whatever, you know, I mean, take pick your pick your stereotype. And believe me, it just doesn't look good. Looks OK in the sunglass form. But as far as just without the sunglasses, looks terrible a horrendous fashion statement anyway um i agree with uh, with mike elgin's all of his assessments on google glass as to why it won't be a big deal but um anyway eyewear based wearable computing will be huge but among geeks and specific professionals the general public including white collar workers will never go for it on mass but they will wear wristwatches number three the voice interaction trend. Apple Siri, Google's voice search, Nuance Dragon Naturally Speaking, and other products are training the human race to interface with computers and phones by talking, just like on Star Trek. Products like Wolfram Alpha, Alpha, Google Knowledge Graph, and to a certain extent, Facebook's graph search are moving us toward a world in which queries are answered not with possible options, but with specific answers. Ask a question, get an answer. When you tell Siri to schedule your lunch meeting or when you ask Google Voice Search who's playing in the Super Bowl, you don't need to type and you don't need to read. You talk, then listen. And if you can do that with a phone, you can do it through your wristwatch without taking your phone out. Uh, 
tap the watch, talk, and hear the reply. And that's something like Siri and Google Now, or like he was talking about Google Voice Search, and even Dragon, naturally speaking. And in fact, I've used Dragon has a free app for Android uh, that that works like Siri to some degree, and it it didn't work half bad. Like I was sending texts while driving and everything, and it, it always answered my stuff. Problem is, if you're playing music, you know, obviously voice recognition becomes a problem. And so, if you're a big music fan, this whole voice stuff doesn't work that well anyway. Uh, so it doesn't, doesn't do a whole lot for me, but I, I, you know, it works, it's cool, but I can definitely see where smartwatches would, um, you know, where that, that could Google now and Siri could really take off for them. Uh, let's see, we have number four, the flexible e-paper trend. It's true that smartwatches have been around for years, but they tend to be gigantic and suffer from limited battery life. Recent advances in flexible e-ink will enable much thinner smartwatches that use less battery power. One recent project on Kickstarter is called the CST-01. It's not a smartphone-connected smartwatch, but it's interesting for other reasons. The CST-01 will be the thinnest wristwatch in the world, according to its developers. It it's, uses a similar screen technology as Amazon's lower-end Kindle eBook readers. Because the screen is e-ink, it's super readable in direct sunlight, and it's also flexible, enabling the display to wrap around the wrist. The developers claim the watch will function for a month between recharging, even though it's got a much bigger screen than most smartwatches are likely to have flexible e-ink technology will enable even the most full featured smartwatches to be thin and light so it's practical that's that's the point of number four is that yeah it is practical to do this because if we can get a month-long battery life and things like that you know that that makes it that puts it into usability game um okay number five the bluetooth 4.0 era the newish bluetooth 4.0 radically decreases the amount of power a connected device needs a special low power mode completely changes how something like a smartphone connected wristwatch can function. Unlike past wristwatches, which both consumed massive power and also needed to be turned on in order to uh, interoperate a new generation of Bluetooth 4.0 controlled watches can go into super low power mode for weeks. If necessary, then wake up to display information coming from the phone. The combination of low power eing screens and the low power mode of Bluetooth 4.0 and the fact that all the heavy processing is happening either on the smartphone or the remote servers that the smartphone is connected to means that connected wristwatches can work for much longer between charges. Make no mistake about it. Smartphone connected wristwatches are going mainstream and will be supported by mainstream companies like Apple and Google. If you ask me, I'd say it's about time. Okay. All great points. All, all absolutely solid, great points. And the Bluetooth 4.0, that's kind of the big deal. Like if you notice uh, most people that are pretty savvy with their phones or even their laptops uh, will instantly turn off. Why is there a Bluetooth turn off feature? Now, a few reasons. One is, is that the Bluetooth turn off feature is a security thing, you know, because you don't want people like accessing your phone, you know, like recognize your phone through Bluetooth and then say communicating perhaps a malicious device they have with yours and then, you know, bricking your phone or something like that. But the main reason that they offer you to turn off Bluetooth, I think, is because it just kills the battery. Okay, from Bluetooth 1.0 to 3.0, it's just, it's been a mess. It drains, be it laptop or smartphone, it drains the battery. So with Bluetooth 4.0, supposedly, they've gotten it to the point where, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, suck so much power. And that's great. Good. So, you know, technology advances. And, you know, now it makes these wristwatches like a little more practical. I do still have to, you know, you know, I mentioned earlier how because phones keep getting larger, uh, you know, that that maybe uh, 
um, you know, maybe these wristwatches will, will make up for that, you know, that interconnectability. I don't, I think Mike Elgin's right. It'll definitely be more mainstream than Google glass will be, you know, these smartwatches, but I just, I don't see them. I, I still don't really see these taking off. They'll take off more than Google glass, but I, I don't see them becoming like that, that prevalent. Um, and when you think, you know, there's a lot of people and we're actually going to talk about a Kindle paperwhite later, but there's a lot of people that like to boast like about the Kindle paperwhite, how the battery lasts for months, you know, it just keeps going. And like, you know, there, there's even a meme that goes around that when it Kindles at like 9% battery life, oh, well, at least I can read for another month. Um, you know, there's lots of people that, that want that, uh, you know, they want that long battery life or the fact that, you know, a normal phone, not a smartphone, but a normal phone, the batteries can last forever. I mean, some of them are even like you have the, the kit, the G force Casios, um, they have, uh, you know, like solar, you know, solar on them. Um, you know, and, and then I, I mean, like watches have gotten to such a great technological point anyway. And I still think they're useful. Like I said, I still wear one. I mean, here you have like citizen citizen sells a watch that has what's called eco drive on it. Um, where the, you know, pretty much the whole watch is just a solar collector. And again, you know, battery goes forever. In fact, it even conserves its own power. This is totally mechanical. It conserves its own power and it'll stop ticking. And until you pick it up and it kind of like feels the heat of your hand or whatever, then the citizen watch with eco drive will suddenly reset itself. It'll know what time it is, you know, and it'll reset itself. And it's amazing. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I just, I don't really see wrist watches coming back into fashion again. Uh, not, not with the masses anyway, you know, I mean, some people, you know, will still, will still wear watches. They, they often wear them as, uh, you know, as, uh, personal statements or, you know, like even showing off some, some wealth or things like that. Uh, but you know, that, that's, that, that in itself is like kind of niche now, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I don't know, you know, but this is the point I wanted to talk about kind of like the technologies that are coming. Um, if you want to talk about like with, with the watches, you know, are there any privacy concerns? Like we talked about some of the ones with Google glass, um, just some of the basic ones, you know, like with Google glass. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people that just instantly say, and Mike Elgin talked about this, how with Google glass, like you just always have a camera on, you know, and I could see where like, where people who are trying to say, go for like government, government accountability and things like that. They'd love to have, or like when they're dealing with the police, you know, they would love to have, uh, you know, Google glass on so that, you know, they, they can just record the whole thing all the time. And that may run into some interesting legislation with that. Forget about wearing it while driving. You know, how is it going to deal with, uh, you know, just your regular interactions every day? Um, you know, there's that. So there's a privacy concern that, well, Google's watching everything that's going on. Oh, my God, we're all going to die. And, you know, which is I think is kind of crazy. But with the wristwatches, as far as any like privacy concerns, I, I can't really think of any where that would be a problem because it's really just going to act as a display as far as I can tell. Um, I mean, they may make it to where, you know, you can kind of talk into it like Michael Knight did with kit, you know, back in, uh, back in the eighties on Knight Rider where he would talk into his watch or maybe they do kind of a Dick Tracy thing, you know, where the, where the watch can, you know, you, you can talk into it and listen from it. Um, I mean, or, you know, maybe even you'll hook up that now, I mean, this is kind of old technology. There are, 
they probably still sell them. There's wristwatches that have MP3 players built into them. So you can put, um, you know, headphones into it and, uh, you know, listen from there. Maybe that'll become a little more prevalent, especially with Bluetooth 4.0 to where you could wear maybe instead of having a wire running up from your watch, uh, you could have Bluetooth headphones that could receive from the watch. Uh, people do this now with their smartphones. You know, maybe the watch would just make that a little more convenient because you won't have to strap on, um, you know, strap on the phone to your, to your, uh, your bicep or wherever you put it. And instead you could just have the watch. Maybe the watch could just like access. I mean, this could be cool. Actually, this is something that I wouldn't mind if the watch could somehow like access, uh, Google music, Google play music, where I keep all my music, you know, uh, like 20,000 songs, uh, great service, by the way, totally for free. And if it could access that and then transmit it through Bluetooth, that would be awesome. So his, so Mike Elgin's point number five about Bluetooth 4.0 may be the real cincher here is that you'll have something like really wearable that can do all this accessing and it's easy enough, you know, to flip through playlists. And if it accepts voice commands for what you're listening to music and you're driving down the road, that could be pretty practical. So again, both products, I still feel that both the the pebble wristwatch which actually got really good reviews we didn't get into the reviews of the of the pebble wristwatch but i'll post a review from engadget into the show notes and you can see the show notes you can go to soundcloud.com slash sovereign tech you can go to sovereigntech.com and check it out um you know and and see what that's all about or you can go to the google plus page which leads you to youtube which has the episodes come out a day early on thursday instead of friday when they go on the feeds um, you know, you can look at the show notes and you can check out the review of the pebble and see if that's something that works for you. Maybe it is. Uh, but I, I still, I, you know, Mike Elgin seems to think that this will take off, uh, you know, that, that watches will definitely be, a, a a really, really big deal, but, uh, I am skeptical, you know, I, I totally trust his opinions, but, but I, I am skeptical on, on that. Either of these are really going to take off because I, I don't know what need they're like providing. We kind of described in the first segment of the show the needs that, like smartphones, the privacy needs. Not the privacy is in, oh, they know everything about me, you know, whoever this this ethereal they is. But the privacy between, you know, one-on-one, you know, the privacy from the person next to you sitting on the bus, uh, the privacy, you know, of, of hearing what you want to hear, all different kinds of information, you know, that you want it, like you're listening to podcasts, like you're listening to me or something. Um you know, all, all this sort of stuff. It, smartphones fill those needs, whether people are conscious of them or not. Neither of these two devices, wristwatches or Google Glass, I don't see them. Of course, that's the market. The market comes up with things and we don't even know that we needed them sometimes, you know. So I'm open to that. But neither of these really offer anything at face value uh, that, you know, that, that just makes me think, oh, yeah, I want that, you know. Uh, I mean, controlling things like in the living room is pretty cool, like the YouTube remote app for Android phones and, and iOS and all that stuff's great. But anyway, well, jury's out. We'll see what happens. But I just wanted to give you a preview of the future of technology that's coming. This is Brian Sobel. I'll be right back. Are you ready? I've never seen anyone so treated like a, a god in my life. Brian Sovereign as guest co-host tomorrow night, and so that should be a good show. On that note, uh, what we just we added t- Brian Sovereign. Okay, we haven't. Oh, is he good? He's, he's been in the audience. He's, oh, yeah, he's certainly got opinions on things. Yes. 
I'm so close to being like God. No one is above me. Okay. Absolutely no one. I don't take orders from anybody. And I mean, that that's how much closer to God can you get? Is there anything he doesn't do better than everyone else? Oh, that's just his way of talking. He's one of the best. Break it down. Catch Sovereign Tech, the show about technology and how it can set you free with me, Brian Sovereign. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N at SoundCloud.com slash Sovereign Tech. Wow. It's a website of the week. It is Website of the Week, where I give you the websites. I bring to you websites that I find interesting or that I may find that my listeners would see as useful. Um, and this week, you know, I, I think it, it's just, it's such a well-done thing, and it's so good to take some things out of lawyers' hands sometimes. Um, this week's Website of the Week is a little depressing, uh, but I think it's it, it's important and it's really well done. So, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't share it, but it's about something I don't like to talk about much on Sovereign Tech, and that's death. Um, but the the website is called uh, Get Your Shit Together, and it's, uh, you know, what it does is it helps you gather the most important documents you need before you die. Um, I mean, it's not something, you know, you want to think about. In fact, quite frankly, I don't think, I think pretty much everybody under the age, or I'm hoping that people under the age of like 60 uh, right now, as of 2013, will be pretty close to living forever. Um, you know, technology will get to the point to where, you know, transhumanism will will at least will run into that life extent, that LET, that life extension technology that will allow people to live 150 years. And then within that time frame of life extension, we'll figure out how to just live forever. Um, I totally totally think that's happening um so anyway so this isn't something i really like to talk about but hey maybe it's something you want to prepare maybe it's something you want to be ready for you know that that's that's totally totally up to you and it's you know just what it says get your shit org. that's the website and you can go there it explains everything it goes down the list um has has templates in all different formats pdf uh you know word files whatever you need um, it has templates for wills, uh, your living will, uh, insurance, you know, money. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's got a lot of good stuff. It explains, you know, what to do. It, it, they, they offer, they offer some really great services, uh, you know, to, to talk to you about it and to explain everything it's in beta right now, but I think it's a pretty cool service. It's kind of like there, there was a, there, there's a service has been around for a while called legal zoom, where it's not lawyers, but it's essentially it's legal stuff, you know, that you can try and do yourself. And I always think that's great. Any way to empower yourself, especially against the state or in dealing with the state, you know, with governments, uh, is always a great thing. So get your shit together.org. I mean, the, the, the name's funny, right? But I, I think it, it, it gets the point across. Um, but it's not just for death. You know, there's, there's some planning in life involved here too. Uh, and it, it's all very, very simple. I looked at it. Um, I do personally go through lawyers, but that's just me. Uh, I can say it's a, it is an expensive thing to do. Uh, you know, getting your, even something you think is like, well, do we just draw up a will? We'd write up a piece of paper or something. Not that, not that easy. 
or at least normally it's not that easy. It's not just that when you go through lawyers and it's a equally, I can say it's not that cheap. Um, so, you know, if you can use this site, get your shit together.org it's spelled exactly how it sounds. Um, there's no exclamation points or anything like that, you know, to that, that make that comprise the word shit. They just said shit and which is great. Uh, so go there. You can look at the free templates and they offer so much more. Uh, I just, I really thought it was a great resource. And again, anything you can do, any kind of independence you can gain and any power you can have, you know, in dealing with anything in the legal system, because our modern legal system is such a mess and a joke, uh, use it and get your shit together.org is definitely one of those places where you can make use. So anyway, we will now return to the regular scheduled programming of talking about life and how fucking awesome it is. This is Brian Sovereign. Time now for 90 seconds on sex with Dr. Paul. Jezebel.com recently had an article about how much more it costs to have a vagina than a penis. Well, first of all, there's period gear. An average woman will have about 500 periods in her lifetime, and she'll pay $120 to $160 a year for pads and tampons, not to mention the extra time that's involved. A lot of women will be paying from $120 to $1,000 a year or more for birth control, and add up to $500 a year for gynecological exams and the occasional yeast or urinary tract infection. Occasionally, even the best methods of birth control will fail. This means a woman would have to set aside between $400 and $1,000 if she needs an abortion, and way, way more if she decides to have a child. Pubic hair removal will cost $315 a year if a woman gets waxed only nine times. Haircuts cost more for women, and most women need way more hair care products than men. Now, if a woman has her nails done, that's an extra $40 every two weeks or $1,000 or more a year. Now, makeup is not cheap, and unless a guy is a serious clothes horse, the average woman will pay way more for clothes each year than he will, and he doesn't have to buy bras or pantyhose. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. It is time for listener emails where you send me an email. You send it to SovereignTech at Hush.ai and ask me a question and I either answer it via email or if you want it answered on the show, I will answer it on the show. And this week I actually got a pretty a pretty basic listener email, uh, but it's an important one. It's, it's simple in its question, but very, very complex in, in its execution, in my opinion. And this is something I've talked about in other episodes of Sovereign Tech. Again, you can go to soundcloud.com slash Sovereign Tech, and you can listen to all the episodes there. They're up there. You can un- It's all unlimited. It's spared no expenses. It's, it's amazing. Um, SoundCloud is really, really a great, great service, and it's all there for you. And you can comment right in. In fact, you know what's really cool about SoundCloud? Just real quick. I love this. When you're listening, if you listen to the show on SoundCloud, now you can download it, um, you know, or, you know, right from SoundCloud, or you can download it on your favorite podcatching program, whatever, uh, or through iTunes. But if you, if you listen to it on SoundCloud, if there's certain points on it, like where I make a statement that, you know, whatever gets some kind of reaction out of you, or, 
or you have a comment about it, you can actually comment on the exact moment that I say it. And you can leave the comment on SoundCloud and I can reply to you on SoundCloud or I can use it for listener email if that's what you like. You know, let me know. And if you want to be mentioned by name, tell me you want to be mentioned by name. Otherwise, I'll leave you completely anonymous. Um, so anyway, this listener email is, you know, again, really simple question. What is the best OS to use? <laughs> you know, I mean, like you want to you want to ask the question for what, you know, but that that's really that's all there is. Like, what's the best OS to use? And it's not, it's not a question that has like a really basic answer. And again, this is a question we've kind of touched on before in episodes of Sovereign Tech, uh, but I'll try and, you know, make it as definitive as I can now. And it, it does in some way depend on what you want to do. Uh, if you want extreme ease of use and, you know, the most uh, compatibility and ability as in now, what do I mean by that? It works with the most programs. Um, it, it's the most supported. And it's there's not a whole lot of command line work. Command line work meaning you have to like, if you can picture the old, you know, movies in computers where they had, you know, the green screens, green and black lettering, you know, you know what I mean? And everything was being typed out. All the commands had to be typed out. There was no GUI, which GUI, which is graphical graphic user interface. Okay. You know, that, that wasn't there. So if you want the absolute ease of use compatibility with most software and most devices and blah, blah, and all that, get an Apple. Okay. Apple's now, I mean, when you buy an Apple, you're not just buying an operating system. You're buying an ecosystem. You're buying hardware. You're buying, you know, all this stuff. And let me tell you that ecosystem, all that hardware with the software works so well. It works so exceptionally well. Um, there's a reason they can charge premium prices for it and get away with it because it's worth it. Uh, I mean, that, that's just how it is with Apple. It's an amazing company. Um, you know, some may say that it's gone downhill since Steve jobs died, sadly. Uh, but it's still an amazing company still has a great infrastructure. And if you, again, if you want ease of use combined with the fact that it works with like everything, you know, like you can, you know, you can plug in any device you've got and it's going to work with it. You can use any different kind of file and it's going to read it pretty well. Um, definitely OS X, which is Apple's operating system, main operating system. That's the way to go. Uh, also, and just an interesting side note, I think Apple, they just recently in the past couple months of 2013, they, um, they updated their iPad. They didn't come out with a new, like, like I think they're on iPod, iPad four or five. Now they didn't come out with like an iPad six or they didn't put in a new processor. What they did was they actually released a new iPad that has 128 gigabyte hard drive space. Normally the maximum was you could buy it in 16 gigabyte, 32 gigabyte or 64 gigabyte. And they now have 128 gigabyte. The reason for that is that I think, and this, this is important to the question. Okay, because if OS X is the best, as far as ease of use, I think OS X is going to go the way of the dinosaur. Um, if What is the purpose to releasing, with all these cloud services and everything, why would you release an iPad with a 128 gigabyte hard drive? It doesn't even make sense. In fact, it goes against just about anything that, in particular, Steve Jobs was designing with the iPhone. Um, you know, 
so why do that? And my opinion, no one's really talking about this, but in my opinion, the Apple's just going to get rid of computers and they're going to have everything be done on iPad. And that's why they're starting to release. They're trying to get some market signals maybe on, okay, if we release an iPad with 128 gigabyte, what's the usage going to be like on that? How many people are going to buy it, etc. So I think that's the future of Apple. So maybe iOS is the best operating system out there as far as ease of use, because Mac OS X might not exist in a couple of years. So something to consider there. Um, the next, the next one you've got to, you know, that you got to talk about is windows. Okay. Now you have a lot of different versions of windows, all of which still get used with OS X. Pretty much everybody, you know, get, usually goes to the next one, like mountain lion or snow leopard, whatever. But with windows, some people like really stick with their old windows. Um, and so there's windows XP, windows seven and windows eight. Those are the three that, you know, that still have some real prevalence. Um, as far as ease of use, not as easy to use or as intuitive as OS X. The windows eight is trying to be that because windows eight is a very unique animal. Um, but while not as easy, it is the Swiss, it is in very, is very much the Swiss army knife of operating systems like windows seven in particular can handle any technology that comes its way has it. It's not, it's not encumbered by, uh, by it needs specific hardware. Cause like OS X needs to, I mean, you can do what's called a Hackintosh where you can put it on, you know, your own hardware, but even then you still need pretty specific hardware. Windows works on everything, almost any hardware, and sometimes even really antiquated hardware. So it's great for that. It has, it has that ease of use graphic interface, uh, or at least easier. It's not as easy as OS X. Okay. But there's just so many programs that exist out there for, for windows. You know, I mean, it, it really, the, the amount, the amount of software that exists for windows is just unmatched and they're actually pretty good. They have what they call compatibility layers built into windows to where it can run like a lot, much, much older stuff. Um, so kudos to windows for that. So if you're looking for really the operating system that is still the most prevalent, like that, if you need help with the average person will most likely be able to help you with, uh, that would be windows. And I'd recommend windows seven, windows eight needs to get some bugs worked out. Uh, Microsoft in the next month or so should be announcing something called windows eight blue or windows blue, where they're going to, you know, look, I don't know what they're going to do if they're going to update because they windows eight has kind of an identity problem. And the identity problem is, is that it's designed for touch, but then it also has the desktop environment for people that do work, you know, for people that like run Photoshop or do video editing or whatever. And the two don't work well together. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's a minor annoyance, but it's there, especially when you're trying to be really, really efficient, which a lot of, a lot of power users on computers want to be efficient. Um, the efficiency is not there. So some people speculate that windows eight blue is going to possibly for the desktop, eliminate the touch interface, or at least make it more secondary. Uh, but nobody really knows what they're planning on and kudos to Microsoft for keeping things secret. So windows is great. Now here's where windows really shines. If you want to play video games, that that's the one just, that's it. The, the argument's over. Okay. If you want to play video games, windows, uh, be it seven or eight is the operating system for you that that's just unquestionable. 
It's it's insane the amount of games you can play on that. Absolutely insane. You can play plenty of games on OS X. You can still play Duke Nukem Forever on OS X, and you should. Uh, you can still, you know, and, and like with the next operating system we're about to talk about, Linux, uh, Steam, which is the Steam by, by a company called Valve, which is the software suite for video games in PCs today. Uh, they're on they're on Mac and they're on PC is now pushing Linux and it's pushing Linux hard because they're coming out with their own hardware. So, you know, games are going in Linux's direction, but right now it does not compare right? and probably forever because everything would have to all these games that have been released for Windows since, you know, the night, the late 1980s, um, you know, you'd have to port all of them to Linux you know, which can be done. It can be done now, actually, with with emulators. But, you know, that that's just a whole other topic. So if you want to play games that just the conversation's over, Windows 7. Um, now, if you if you're just a power user, you like to work, you want security uh, as in like, you know, some degree of privacy or you want like everything encrypted. All that can be done on on Macs and it can be done on Windows as well. Maybe not Windows so much but it can definitely be done on Macs. But if you want to really, really take control of your computer, you got to go with Linux. Okay. Now Linux has a learning curve, no doubt about it. But once you, the, the beauty of it is that when you learn it, you have control of your computer. Okay. Now the world's changing so many things. Like there's a very popular distribution called Ubuntu. Okay. And everybody's just like releasing it, releasing their programs to work very, very well with Ubuntu to be installed very, very easily, almost to the point of a windows experience. It's that close. And that's great. Um, the nice thing. So what's the advantages to Linux as compared to Apple and, and windows Linux is totally free. Doesn't cost a thing. You can download it and you can install it and it's yours as to where like with Microsoft, um, it's right in the user, you know, in the EULA in, in the end user license, it says, you are licensed to use windows. You do not own windows as to where with Linux, it's all you go for it. You do whatever you want with it. Totally open source, open source, meaning that, that you can look at the code at the bare bolts and you can make changes to it. If you want to for yourself, you know, you're, if you make changes to your Linux, it's just going to affect your Linux Linux. It's not going to affect anyone else's. Um, and a lot of, I, I, there's so, there's so many different, different Linux distributions out there or as they call distros, which is different, different versions of the operating system. There's so many, uh, that it, it, it can be confusing. All right, which one do I use? You know, everybody uses Ubuntu, but here's the problem with Ubuntu. Okay. Is that they've started putting in ads into Ubuntu and Ubuntu, like the way, the way it's, it's interface is set up. I feel like it's designed to do, to do only one thing at a time. You know, you can't multitask on Ubuntu and I don't think it's meant to, it's meant, and they're designing it to be very, very easy to use. And in fact, as far as ease of use, not overall compatibility like Apple has, but as far as ease of use, it may even beat Apple as far as Ubuntu goes. But the ease of use comes at a cost. You're only doing one thing at a time. So my recommendation, what's the best OS for me? You know, if you want my opinion, what do I want to use? What do I use? Uh, actually, what this show is being made on right now is called Lubuntu. It's with an L. It's Ubuntu, 
Again, it's a, it's one of these different distributions. It's still Ubuntu, works with all these wonderful Ubuntu programs that everybody's making, you know, things for Ubuntu. You can run Litecoin, Bitcoin, uh, you can run an Audacity, you can you can't run Photoshop, just deal with that. Uh, you can run all these different things. You can run Google Chrome. I mean, all this stuff, Steam works on Ubuntu, all this stuff works. You get all that, but you get it in an interface that's called LXDE. That's where the L comes from for Lubuntu, which is designed to be fast, streamlined, and multitasking. And I love it. And it works great. And it's really lightweight. And the battery life on the laptop is awesome when it's running. So Lubuntu. I'll link to it in the show notes. That is the king, that is the king to me right now. Uh, this is Brian Sovereign. I'll be back with more. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity, it is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. You can watch Babylon 5 and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to the wb.com slash shows slash Babylon 5. Software of the Week. It is time for Software of the Week, where I talk about various points of software that I consider very useful. Um, and this one, we th- there's been episodes in the past where, where I've talked about uh, VPNs, which is virtual private networks, um, which allows you to kind of anonymize your internet access to some degree. Uh, and it encrypts your internet access and things like that. They're really, really great. Um, if you want to learn more about what a VPN is, you know, hit up, hit up Wikipedia on that. And we've talked about them before and I've recommended a few in the past. And I, I will do with, with my picks of the week, you know, software of the week, website of the week, pick of the week, whatever. Um, if I find that there's something better than what I recommended before, I'm going to mention it. And this, this week I'm mentioning probably what I found to be the best VPN service out there. And in fact, there's one reason that it's really, really killer. Um, and it's private internet access.com private internet access.com. Now, uh, it runs, you know, anywhere from $7 monthly, you know, up to where for a year you can pay for 40 bucks for a year. Okay. It's not a free VPN. Um, they don't offer any kind of free VPN, you know, from them either. But I mean, this is really, really great. Now, the cool thing is, is that this can also work for your phone. A lot of phones like Android, Android particularly allows you to, you know, use a VPN to, to encrypt your Wi-Fi connections and things like that. And that's really cool. Um, all, all the, any way you pay for this offers unlimited bandwidth as far as how much you use it. Um, just a handy, handy thing. And VPNs are so handy, especially be when you're going to other countries because it allows you to access often what it does is it kind of, it can change your IP and it can allow you to access websites that are often blocked by governments in other countries, which is pretty cool. So a great thing to have a VPN, uh, definitely worth the money. Uh, this one was also editor's choice by PC magazine, which, you know, that that's, that's prestigious for what it is, but here's the real kicker as far as why is why private internet access.com. They accept 
bitcoins as payment. I mean, that's awesome. You know, not, I mean, I understand Bitcoin as of, as of this recording is at 140 some odd dollars in 2013, you know, so maybe you want to hold on to your Bitcoins and I can understand that, but it does allow you to pay in Bitcoins and that's awesome. I mean, how, how can you beat that? And, and I, I firmly support, I love, you know, I love entrepreneurship and I firmly, firmly support companies. Uh, you know, I'll buy from a company a lot of times just because they take Bitcoin because I want that to be recognized that yes, this is what I as a consumer want. I want you to take the currency of my choice. You know, that's very, very important. And so, you know, who else would I go with? <laughs> I mean, in that case, you know, VPNs are something that I think are very important and very useful. Uh, in fact, honestly, even for my phone more than for, uh, you know, for my computer, but all the same, uh, private internet access.com. And they, they take Bitcoin. <laughs> I mean, how much, how much better can you can get? I mean, you, you can buy it with, you know, with FRNs, uh, you know, you can get it with PayPal, I think even, you know, so you, you have your options, but that's the beauty is that you, is that you have the options and it does, it works really great. I can honestly say private internet access.com does work really, really well. Um, you know, it, it anonymizes everything. Their customer services is good. Uh, I actually called and I talked to a human being at one point. It was, it was awesome. Um, you know, I mean, so they protect your identity, you know, they, they keep things from, you know, works almost like a firewall to some degree, even, uh, it's just an awesome service, private internet access.com. And you can get it with bitcoins. doesn't get any better than that. It's Brian Sovereign and I'll be back with you. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Brian, stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk, perhaps my favorite part of the show. Um, I want to mention again quickly, I, I really think this is awesome. Uh, for Android, Namco has released totally free you know, other than you have to like buy tokens to do, to take part in the tournaments. Um, but you can get the original Pac-Man for your smartphone, for your Android smartphone. And it's Pac-Man plus tournaments, which allows you, it allows for a leaderboard and you can play online and you know, whoever scores the highest get, you actually get physical, you can, you win physical things out of this. You don't just like win something in the game, you know, some kind of treasure in the game. You actually can win. Like, I think right now they're offering like plushy ghosts, a set of plush ghosts, which is really cool. I actually have a plush Pac-Man, uh, which is nice, but not, not that I won it through the game, but anyway, but, but there's actual prizes involved. Um, so definitely worth checking out Pac-Man plus tournaments. If you have an Android tablet or smartphone, give it a look. The controls are, I thought are 
very, very well done, uh, or at least as well done as they can be on touch. Of course, it can accept other controllers like the Moga controller, um, or something from like steel series. They offer an Android, um, controller that, that works really, really well. And you can use that. So, but I just want to get that out there because I think it's so great. It's free, you know, why not play it? It's, it's awesome. Um, but what, what I'm really going to talk about for, uh, for game talk this week is something that as far as actual game talk around the world has been talked about for probably 30 years and that's virtual reality. And this article, it's a little bit of an older one. Uh, it's from back from January, but it's from PC gamer. And according it's, it's an interview with valve, uh, which is the company that makes Steam that we were talking about a little bit earlier in the show. Uh, virtual reality hardware needs a Kobayashi Maru moment. What is Kobayashi Maru? Now, Kobayashi Maru is actually the, a Kobayashi Maru moment. The Kobayashi Maru is a reference to Star Trek 2 or Star Trek 11. You, you take your pick which one you want to go with. And the... The Kobayashi Maru was a ship. Captain Kirk is in like, or there's not Captain Kirk's not in it, but he was before. Anyway, there's a simulator called the Kobayashi Maru where it's the no win scenario. And it's what does a captain do when, you know, when they, when you can't win, when the, the odds are just too great against you and you can't win. And so that's what they mean by Kobayashi Maru. Uh, you know, it's, it's the no win scenario. Um, or it's the moment where, you know, you, well, let's read the article. Ladies and gentlemen of PC gaming, we've officially come full circle. A gaming studio used a Star Trek reference while discussing the future of virtual reality on the Internet. In a lengthy dissertation posted last week on the Valve Time blog, programmer Michael Abrish stated display latency represents the primary bottleneck uh, for VR hardware, including Valve's secretive wearable computing project needs to address when compared to the eye's behavior in the war in the real world. The post also apparently proves Valve's slow transformation into a real life aperture laboratories. So, okay. There's a lot of, a lot of, uh, inside comments in there. Okay. A lot of innuendo and aperture laboratories is the name Valve makes a game called portal portal one and portal two, very, very popular games. And, um, the, the joke is that that's aperture laboratories is like the, to some degree, the, uh, the antagonist in the games <laughs> and like it, it comes up with all these experimental technologies and everything. It's not directly the antagonist, but it, it's kind of the place for it. And so that's what they're, that's what they're saying is that valve is coming up with all these like wild technologies, like a secretive wearable computing project. Um, and now virtual reality, which they're saying is just it's not happening because of latency. Latency is the time frame of communication as in the time it takes for your, for a computer or a headset in this case, which would be virtual reality, wearing a headset over your eyes so that you think you're in a virtual world responding to your eye movement. So that's where they're saying the problem is, is that the computer can't respond fast enough to your eye movement. Okay. On the, we'll continue with the story on the basic level. VR latency measures the time elapsed between moving your head and how fast the prod, the projected image gets redrawn with all objects in their correct positions relative to your viewing angle. Abrish claims modern hardware accomplishes, accomplishes this at a 26 millisecond latency, a blazingly fast dot of time in general, but too slow for the purposes of VR 26 milliseconds. Wow. 
If too much time passes, the virtual image will drift far enough so that it has clearly wobbled in virtual reality, or so that it is obviously no longer aligned with the same real-world features in augmented reality. Aug virtual reality is, you're like literally, you're, you look like you're in another world. As to where augmented reality is, you're like, say you're looking through, you're, you're looking at your smartphone and the camera you know, the camera's on. And so you're looking at what's in front of you through the camera of the phone and augmented reality is that the camera actually shows you something that's really not there, but you're still looking at say a building that is there. You get me? Okay. Um, Abrash wrote for reference games generally have latency from mouse movement to screen update of 50 milliseconds or higher, sometimes much higher. VR is so much more latency sensitive than normal games because they're expected to stay stable with respect to the real world as you move. While with normal games, your brain, your eye and brain know they're looking at a picture. It almost sounds like the first step to breaking out of the matrix. So he's saying what Abrash is saying here is that if you had a VR, a virtual reality headset on and you looked to your right and you not just looked to your right, but like moved and pivoted to your right what you would see wouldn't match your movement. And so your brain would be like, what the hell's going on here? Okay. Knocking down latency to around seven milliseconds is the ultimate goal. Again, there are 26, according to Abrash. Current hardware offerings limit options, however, and Abrash uh, predicted the need for a Kobayashi Maru moment, a trekified analogy for a sudden Eureka realization uh, to truly propel VR systems to that magical milestone. So they're looking for a miracle. There's got to be that like, okay, no, we do figure out how to beat. We're in the no win scenario right now. And yet we figure out how to beat it. Um, now the reference again with Kobayashi Maru is that when captain Kirk from star Trek took the test, he actually cheated, reprogrammed the Kobayashi Maru scenario so that he could win. And so that's why they're saying it needs a Kobayashi Maru moment because they got to find that moment when they can, you know, where they just go, ah, this is how you beat it. Okay. Uh, there's no way to get low enough display latency out of existing hardware that also has high enough resolution, low enough cost, appropriate image size, compact enough form factor and low enough weight and suitable pixel quality for consumer scale AR. He wrote AR being augmented reality. Someone has to step up and change the hardware rules to bring display latency down. It's eminently doable and it will happen. The question is when and by whom it's my hope that if the VR market takes off in the wake of the Oculus rifts launch, the day when display latency comes down, will be near at hand. Okay. The Oculus rift is an actual VR headset. It's a headset that you put on and you play video games. In fact, there's a, they re-released doom three, uh, last year in 2012 and they called it the BFG edition and it was designed to work with the Oculus Rift. It was designed to work as a virtual reality game. Um, so this is out there. This isn't, I mean, it's theoretical to get it to the point where, you know, where Valve wants it to where it's like at seven milliseconds of latency time, but it is out there. People are using it. Augmented reality is very, very popular. It's being done. Nintendo has been doing it for eons. Um, you know, and, and even more so now with their, like the Nintendo 3DS has augmented reality. Uh, a lot of, we talked a little bit before about Google, how they have the game ingress that runs off of augmented reality where, yeah, okay. You're seeing one thing, but your phone sees a whole other thing. 
so but this is this is coming this is something they're trying for and it always looks ridiculous you can watch movies from the 90s where this is kind of all the rage with wearing you know virtual reality headsets and they all looked really clunky and boxy had a real fashion problem and you know not that fashion seems to be an issue with companies because google glass is coming out and that's not fashionable at all so but but this is getting close you know the idea if you've been looking for virtual reality video game playing we're almost there and the oculus rift has been released so that's something to look into anyway this is brian sovereign and i'll be right back with more science are you searching for a mouth-watering all-natural sweet and sticky treat what if i told you it was also made by a chef who believes in freedom just like you you're not dreaming this is real head over to mandrick.com that's m-a-n-d-r-i-k.com there you'll find george's famous baklava in classic and dark chocolate flavors Mm. to those with special health needs george's famous baklava also has a treat for you golden delicious low-carb gluten-free almond cookies order with paypal or bitcoins in just a few days your sweet treats will await you right at your doorstep one more time, that's M-A-N-D-R-I-K dot com for George's Famous Bakaba. Hacker Stories. It is time for Hacker Stories, where I talk about hacking in all of its forms. Social engineering, uh, hacking at even hacking at hardware, which is what we're going to talk about this time. We'll talk about software hacking, you know, black hat, white hat, gray hat, all of them. Uh, I love hackers. I think they're the good guys and they're the people that are really pushing the world forward every day. Uh, and not enough people talk about them, especially, you know, in, I mean, they should be talked about in relatively everyday circles, uh, and, and they're often not. And so I like to bring some light into that. Um, so this week we've got a story from Engadget, and this is pretty fresh. Um, it's, it's from April 2nd, 2013 by Jamie Rigg, and it's hacker turns Kindle paperwhite into wireless raspberry Pi terminal. Now the link to this will be in the show notes. You can go, you can find the show notes, be it if you subscribe to the show's feed, or you can go to soundcloud.com slash sovereign tech, see them there. Or if you listen to the show on YouTube, perhaps to the G plus page at G plus.to slash sovereign tech S O V R Y N. Remember that, um, you know, you can find the show notes there and you can get a look at exactly what this looks like. And it is so cool. Um, I mean, just really, really cool. I love it. So the Raspberry Pi, this is the article, the Raspberry Pi is all about low cost computing. Okay. If you're not sure what the Raspberry Pi is, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it after because it's a real, the, the article itself is just super short, um, which makes this particular hack quite fitting as it allows you to make a terminal for your little Linux machine, um, out of something, you know, you may already have at home, a Kindle Paperwhite. Displeased with the glare from his laptop screen on a sunny day, Max Ogden, Ogden was inspired to find something better and ended up with the paperwhite hack. It builds on the original Kindleberry Pi uh, method for the Kindle keyboard, although Ogden had to message it for the newer model and added some extra hardware to make the setup as wireless as possible. Uh, you couldn't call the end result a monitor as such. 
the paperweight logo logs into an SSH session running on the Pi. So it pretty much works for terminals. That's probably the best for the best, as Ogden guesses the lag between wireless keyboard and e-ink screen is around 200 milliseconds. We were just talking about latency. Uh, that's pretty slow. But at least it has portability, battery life, and sunlight readability in the pros column. Details of the project can be found at the source below, meaning only time and probably a few peripherals stands between you and the ultimate hipster coffee shop machine. Uh, hilarious. So what what was done here? Okay, now if you're not sure what Raspberry Pi is, Raspberry Pi it's a computer. It's a computer. It's it's about I mean the size of the it's not it's smaller than the average person's hand uh, or palm even. It's so so small. And they run about 35 bucks, believe it or not. Um, very inexpensive. They run on ARM architecture, which means that like the graphic processor and the central processor all run in one. Uh, it's just this little circuit board. And I mean, it's really, really an ingenious idea. They, they can barely keep these on the shelves, obviously at $35 or even $50 for some other models. Uh, you know, they just fly off the shelves. You know, because how could you not want a computer for that much? And they can run Linux. Um, they have an SD card slot on them. They usually have two USB ports. Uh, I think they updated the RAM. The RAM used to only be either 256 or 512, and they doubled it. I don't, but I'd have to look back into that. And it has a, uh, an HDMI port for a monitor, uh, and it has a, you know, a, a jack for sound. And, and it, I mean, it's just this great little computer. You, you got to look into them. Uh, yeah, they're up to 512 megabytes now. So, um, you know, it, it's pure genius. You can run Linux on it. You know, you can, you can load Linux onto an SD card because the thing doesn't have like an actual hard drive. You, you use the SD card as the hard drive. It's so cool. Um, and there's a lot, of, I mean, you, you can just, you can configure the crap out of this thing. And again, it's so small. Like there's people that configure the, or that, that like make custom cases for them and they put them inside of like an Eltoids can. That's how small this is. Amazing. Anyway, uh, so you have the Raspberry Pi, which is this, you know, relatively powerful computer in the, you know, in your hand. I mean, it has, you know, uh, it can connect wirelessly to things. I, I mean, it's just, it's got it all. It even has an ethernet port on it, uh, port on it. And, um, so this guy connects and, and you can go to the show notes and you can figure out how to do this. But I just thought it looked so awesome. Um, this guy connected a keyboard, you know, a Bluetooth keyboard, much like I use. I use one for my phone that I connect to my phone with. And, you know, you can connect to, um, you know, you could put in a little Bluetooth dongle into the into one of the USB ports on the Raspberry Pi computer. And then you could connect, you know, via that. And then, then the, the paper white, the, the Kindle with the e-ink screen, you know, can connect wirelessly as well. And then you just use, you know, for power, you use an external power pack, like a battery pack of some kind, like they sell to where, uh, they sell these where you can, you know, if your phone loses its charge, you can plug it into this little battery pack. Even Energizer offers these things and you can charge your phone in like a couple hours if you're, you know, on the go and you're not anywhere say you're not in a car, say you're on a plane trip or something, you don't have anywhere to plug it in. You can bring one of these external battery packs. And so essentially, you know, and, and I don't, it doesn't say what, it, what kind of battery life he's getting, 
but the Raspberry Pi takes insanely little amount of electricity. Uh, the Kindle Paperweight, obviously, the, the battery life on that is months. Um, and now I know at least the Bluetooth keyboard I had. Now, here he's using an Apple uh, keyboard, Bluetooth keyboard. But the, the and I don't know, I'm not exactly sure how long those last. But the Bluetooth keyboard I use for my Android phone lasts like three months so you've got you've got some sustainability here with, with this you know i mean your, your battery life is probably pretty good um and you know you could just keep the computer in a bag if you want or whatever and i love the e-ink display i'm a huge fan of that actually you know that this is what turned me on so much about this was um was that the, was that the screen was an ink display, you know, and he's like running Linux or whatever. And it just, you know, and it works well with it. Uh, the e ink display is just black and white. Of course, you know, picture the Kindle, what a Kindle, not a Kindle fire, but what a normal Kindle looks like. And that's what you're picturing. And I love that because there's no eye strain with, with an e ink display. It doesn't matter day or night, no eye strain. And in fact, he's using a Kindle paper white, which that has the ability to, even in the dark, it collects, whatever natural lights, I mean, just anything, it collects whatever's around and it'll light itself. So really cool, uh, ability there. And I mean, is it impractical? Can you just, you know, pull out your phone and connect with the Bluetooth keyboard and whatever and, and do your business? Of course you can. That's what I do. That's fine. That works great. And there's not a whole lot of hacking done, but if you want a fun little project, and again, I love the display. I think the display is awesome because again there's no eye strain um you know because there's you know i think it's been scientifically shown proven that computer screens like the blue in them and all that like the the backlit screens actually keep you from falling asleep uh it's not healthy you know for essentially the rhythms of your body um there's a whole lot of science behind that in fact on, on my computer um, in Linux, and this is available for iOS and Macs and Windows too. Uh, I use a program called Flux, F dot L U X, and that gets rid of the blue in the screen essentially, and it reds everything over so it's a little more like sunlight or it's a little more natural, more like candlelight at night. So automatically, like, you know, whatever sundown is, be it six or seven o'clock, suddenly the hues, the color hues of my monitor change. Um, and that, you know, and that's to help you, you know, help your bodies and, you know, naturally fall asleep, you know, as it, as it should. And so anyway, so that's what attracted me to this. Um, you know, this little hack here was that he was using the Kindle paper white screen and I love raspberry Pi too. I mean, come on, $35, a $35 computer. You, you can't beat that, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, you know, and I'm guessing all around to do to use all the hardware that this guy used, he probably hashed out nah, about, about 200, 250 bucks. You know, I got to admit to that, but boy, does it look cool. It's fun. Check it out in the show notes. Uh, you can go to sovereigntech.com to see those and I'll be right back with more. Oh yeah. This is Stephanie Murphy, sovereign tech producer. You may know me from this show, but did you know that I have my own podcast? It's called Pork Therapy. Pork Therapy is a bit different from other shows. We cover current events, big ideas, and even relationship issues, all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives. Oh, and you'll love Sex and Science Hour. 
Join me on my website, porktherapy.com. That's P-O-R-C therapy.com. Now back to Sovereign Tech. doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. (sighs) It's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me. But baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff. Well, Then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the Week. It is time for Pick of the Week, where I get to talk about whatever I want to talk about. Um, It could be, you know, software, hardware, music, movies, books, TV shows, comics, um, political things. Not that I ever care to talk about politics, because politics is an absolute waste of time. Um, but you know, I I get to talk about whatever I want, which is great. You know, I enjoy that. And this week, this is kind of multifaceted. A lot of times I've talked about TV shows in the past. Uh, this week is a TV show and, but this one has, there's something very special about it that, that raises an interesting point, especially in anarchist thought. And this show is, it's a show I, I grew up with. Um, and it's about a character that has been quite frankly, pivotal in my life. Um, you know, because I, you know, I mean, all right, let's say this, maybe some of us had good, you know, good parents or we had good childhoods and things like that. Uh, my childhood was not the grandest by any means. I, for most of us, I think whether we realize it or not, our childhoods pretty much sucked. Um, and I did not look at my parents as heroes as to where I think that's the common idea that you're supposed to do. Um, instead I found heroes in stories. I found heroes in various forms of media. Um, and one of those happened to be Batman. And so this is about the television show, Batman. Now, which one, you know, there's, there's been, well, while there's only been one live action Batman and that's the one we're talking about, there have been many cartoons, all of which have been very well done and usually, you know, have tons of accolades to go with them. Um, this is the show from the 1960s. It ran from 1966 to 1968, went three seasons, 120 episodes. And this is the Adam West classic with Adam West as Batman. You know, he, he made a lifetime career out of it pretty much. Um, at least not playing Batman over and over again, but just in that, like everybody knew him for this. Uh, and rightfully so he did a great job and it's, it's kind of a, you know, as far as Batman goes, everybody that know like today thinks Batman's, you know, all deadly serious and generally he is. And I like him that way, but uh, but in the sixties, Batman was this, at least with this show, with this TV show, he was very comedic. Um, it, it's, it's just, a, it's a hilarious, hilarious show. Uh, nothing is taken very seriously. Batman has a gadget for everything. He even has, there's a time where in one episode where a criminal, um, were actually where the Riddler left, left them a riddle, but he left it in alphabet soup. Okay. Which is soup with the letters of the alphabet in it. And you had to, he had to like figure out what exactly, you know, what, what is the riddle that he left? 
And so they ran the alphabet soup to the Batcave, Batman and Robin did, and they poured it into the Bat Alphabet Soup Collector. Dead serious. <laughs> and it sorted out, you know, the letters and said, okay, this is these are the possible messages that it made. But he actually had, and it was labeled, the Bat Alphabet Soup Collector. Awesome. Hilarious. I love it. Uh, and, you know, this show was so popular that while even then... You know, while the comics weren't as serious as like when Frank Miller finally took over or did his his business with Dark Knight Returns in the 80s, um, while the comics were relatively serious back then, the show was so popular as a comedy that the comic started to become comedic, you know, and, and like they just started doing these ridiculous stories and all this stuff. Um, so many of the Batman uh, memes and tropes that they have out there are based on this television show. This show was huge. Uh, they even made a, a Wonder Woman show, um, not as an offshoot so much, but because it was so popular, they were able to make a Wonder Woman show. But the Wonder Woman show was actually very serious. It didn't have the, com the comedy of Batman where like, you know, the, the original Batman series is very well known for the, you know, cap pow, you know, like, and like this, they tried to make it look like the comic book where like when you hit somebody, um, you know, it, it, it like showed the sound in a little, in a little bubble and everything really, really great stuff. Uh, but the show, I mean, it was actually ingeniously written. The acting is top notch from everybody on there. Uh, the Joker is hilarious. Amazingly, the Joker is played by, by a Hispanic gentleman, you know, playing the Joker at, Oh, and he was great. And in fact, if you look at it, especially now, if you look at it to some degree of, of, um, of high definition, um, though there isn't really a high definition version of it. And we'll talk about that in a second. You can actually see, cause they, they painted his face, you know, bright white just, and the guy, the guy just culturally, you know, he wouldn't shave his mustache and you can actually see the mustache. If you look close enough, you can see the mustache and they just painted like white over it. They tried to make it look like it wasn't there, but the actor, the guy just wouldn't paint it. It's, it's hilarious. Anyway, so the whole show is great. Very, very funny. Uh, you know, could it be described as family fun? Certainly, you know, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, yeah, just really enjoyable. I mean, and it's Batman and, and the, the Batmobile in it looks awesome. It's an old Ford Futura, uh, which never really got released in America. It was though it did in Australia. Uh, just a, just an awesome, awesome little show. So, so what's the big deal? Why am I talking about it here? Uh, because it's not something like that. I watch regularly. In fact, I don't think I've watched it in a while, but here, here's the, here's the challenge that I pose to my listeners. Go to the store. Go to Walmart, go to Best Buy, whatever. Go to Amazon. That's fine. You know, do it online. Go to Amazon.com. Go to some retailer and buy it. Buy the entire series, or at least buy season one. Now, there's a Batman the movie, okay? But I'm not talking about that. There, there's like a, there's a the pilot movie they made for the series. Really great stuff. You, you can get your hands on that if you want. It. But buy like season one or season two or season three. Go, go ahead. In fact, uh, press pause right now on the podcast and go out and buy it. Okay. Now you can press play again. You probably pressed play and you've come home empty handed or Amazon said, we don't have that. It's because no one has it. The show is from 1966 and you can't even buy it on VHS. You can't get it on DVD. You're not going to get it on Blu-ray. You're not going to go to the Apple store and get it. You can't get it. 
It's madness. Okay. <laughs> Absolute madness. Why? I mean, name the show. There's, there's almost no show you can't get on DVD today. Really? I mean, you can hardcastle McCormick. It doesn't matter. You, you, you can get whatever show you want pretty much on DVD. They've released it, or at least they've released season one. And if season one didn't sell well, they didn't release any of the others. Now the sales for the movie, Batman, the movie that I talked about, you can buy that. Okay. Remember the challenge was to go buy season one, two or three. You can buy that. And that sold very, very well. So it's not like it didn't sell. Um, in fact, you can even buy documentaries about the show on DVD. Uh, there's one called return to the back cave. Um, you know, and, and all this stuff, it's all, it's all locked up in copyright. DC comics is freaking out cause they own Batman. Um, you know, but 20th century Fox made the show. So, but DC comics is partnered with Warner brothers and Warner and 20th century Fox isn't going to sell it to Warner brothers. So, so DC saying, no, we own Batman. You can't release it. And Fox is saying, well, we own the show and you can't release it. And nobody gives, nobody's giving way. It's crazy. Okay. This is what patents and copyrights do. I mean, it's just absolute madness. Now, can you get your hands on it? You can still through, through some syndication companies, there's still syndication contracts out there to replay the show. Okay. But those were, those syndication contracts were made before home video existed. That's why they're out there. Otherwise you'd probably never see the show again. So what you can do is some people like they recorded it off of TV land and TV land played the whole series. You can go to the pirate Bay, you know, go to pirate, pirate, the pirate bay.se, or you can go to uh, kick-ass torrents. Uh, that's at K T dot And from there you can download the television show, all three seasons of the movie you can get the soundtrack, get whatever you want. It's there. Okay. And you know, th this is amazing. No one's making, at least not, not really, not the person that did this. Nobody's making money off of getting this show out there, but the demand is out there. You'll see the seeds. The seeds are in the thousands of how many people have downloaded this because people want it because it's a great television show. You know, it's hilarious and it, and it's fun. Um, and it's Batman. Come on. So this is, this is the madness, the absolute madness of the copyright system. You know, that these things happen. Um, I mean, what, what else can I say about it? But it also shows the genius of the private world, you know, the world that, that doesn't look to the government where they say, well, you won't release it. I will. And I got to say the quality on some of these is really, really good. I mean, they've, they've done, you know, they did top notch work. Now it's not in high definition. You know, this isn't 720p, but it's pretty close. It's about as close as you'll get. And, you know, you could burn it onto a DVD and, um, you know, and, and watch it and enjoy it and show it to your kids or, you know, enjoy it for yourself as I would, you know, take your pick, but that's the only way you're going to get it. If there weren't torrent sites or Usenet, forget it. You, you'd, you'd be at the mercy of the networks to see this show. 
how, or you'd have to like, you'd have to set up a DVD recorder or record it on your own computer or whatever, go through hours and hours and hours of work as to where thankfully to the division of labor, some people out there said, nah, I want this show and I'm going to share it with the world for free. I wish I knew who exactly the original torrenter was. I'd give them money. In fact, I dare say I'd give them probably a grand. I'd say, thank you. Thank you for, you know, <laughs> just letting, letting Warner brothers and or letting DC and Fox keep their heads up their ass, you know, while we can just kick back and enjoy a great, great television show. You know what I mean? And so this is where, you know, we, we talk about hackers. This is kind of a hacking. This is where they're the good guys. And this is where torrents aren't bad, you know, and this is why they freak out because, you know, they, these companies are missing out on big money and they got it. It's got to be annoying them to no end that people are just downloading this show for free. You know what I mean? And you think one of them would just cave. You know, and just say, all right, look, fine. Let's just get it out there. Someone can make money or give us 20% or something. You figured they do some kind of business, but no, they're just so stuck up. Um, it's, it's, it's really, it's pathetic. And it shows how pathetic the whole copyright system is. Um, you know, and, and you'd think even that the industry would learn from this and that they'd see, wow, this guy compiled this, did such a great release and such great editing. Maybe we should hire this guy to put together our editions of it. Or, you know, they could come up with, um, like, you know, this reminds me, okay, when, when CDs in, in the late nineties, when CD copying became a thing, um, they didn't, you know, the music companies didn't know what to do. People were just making CDs for free. And so the companies came up with an answer and I thought it wasn't, it was a pretty good one. They started releasing dual disc where they put the, they would release a CD and then it would come with a DVD with all the music videos from the band on it or from the album. And I thought that was a great idea. Good. So let's let this, let's let this competition kind of, you know, not, not that I'm a big one for competition in the market per, oh, I mean, I am a big one for competition in the market, but let's let this competition do it. I just don't like the word competition. Anyway, you've been listening to Brian Sovereign. I'll see you next week. This is Sovereign Tech. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds.